Denmark, highly taxed and highly content. Traveling through Denmark, I enjoy a constant barrage of experiences that give me food for political thought. This most highly taxed corner of Europe likes its system. An exceptionally affluent society, it chooses to sip rather than to gulp. It's a traditionally blonde corner of Europe that struggles with immigration issues. And Copenhagen's famous hippie commune, now nearly 40 years old, is standing strong against a rising tide of free market trends. There's plenty in Denmark that Americans who travel as students of the world can ponder in order to spice up their take on well-worn social and economic issues back home. In this audio file, I'll delve into a few of the joys and challenges of Danish life. Denmark serves as a practical example of how one European country embraces that continent's more socialistic system and faces some of the same immigration challenges we're dealing with here in the USA. This snapshot of Danish life is a reminder that you can glean powerful lessons even when you travel to more comfortable countries that don't seem so different from back home. Everything's so Danish. Wherever you travel, you encounter societies that are driven by a desire for their people to live well. Denmark seems particularly adept at this feat. In survey after survey, when asked whether they're content with their lives, the Danes are routinely found to be among the happiest people on earth. With each visit to Denmark, it's become my mission to figure out what makes those Danes so darn happy. Expensive, highly taxed, and highly efficient Denmark confuses me. The affluence of Denmark's Scandinavian cousin in Norway can be explained by their North Sea oil bonanza. But the Danes' leading natural resources are wind power, pigs, and pickled herring. Considering the very high cost of living here, the Danish lifestyle seems richer than their modest after-tax incomes would suggest. In fact, the Danes live extremely well. Traveling through what seems to be a fantasy land, you keep wondering, how do they do it? First off, there's the obvious. Denmark is simply pleasant. I'm impressed by how serene things are, even in the bustling capital of Copenhagen. Their new subway is silent, automated, on the honor system with random ticket checks rather than turnstiles, and trains go literally every two minutes. The streets are so quiet, thanks to downtown pedestrian-only zones, that I don't yell to my friends from a distance. I walk over to speak to them in a soft, indoors voice. On my last visit, I saw an angry young man at the Copenhagen train station barking into his mobile phone, and it occurred to me that in a week in the country, that was the only shouting I had heard. When you get beyond Copenhagen and travel into the Danish countryside, you find yourself saying cute a lot. Thatched roof farms dot a green landscape of rolling hills and fields. Sailboats bob in tiny harbors. Parents push kids in prams along pedestrian-only streets. Copper spires create fairy tale skylines. The place feels like a pitch-and-putt course sparsely inhabited by blonde Vulcans. Travelers here find the human scale and orderliness of Danish society itself the focus of their sightseeing. Everything is just so Danish. The local Disneyland, Legoland, is a wildly popular place featuring 58 million Lego bricks built into famous landmarks from all around the world. They claim if you lined them all up, they'd stretch from here all the way to Italy. The place is crawling with adorable little ice-cream-licking blonde children. Although stoked with piles of sugar, the scene is strikingly mellow. 
Kids hold their mother's hands while learning about the Lego buildings and smile contentedly as they circle around on the peaceful carousel. Riding Danish trains is also thought-provoking. Wandering into a nearly empty, sleek train car, I noticed that each seat was marked Con Reserveres. I figured that meant not reserved and sat down. Then I was bumped by a friendly Dane with a reservation. He said the sign means the seat could be reserved. We don't promise too much. Noticing several young men with shaved heads and the finest headphones listening to iPods as they made clockwork connections on their commute to work, I thought that Denmark seemed so minimalistic and efficient and so well-ordered. On another train ride, I was filming a segment for a public television show. I'd look into the camera and say, a fun part of exploring Denmark is enjoying the efficiency of the great train system. As usual, I needed about six or eight takes to get it right. My Danish friend was chuckling the whole time. He finally explained that our train was running eight minutes late, and each time I said my line, all the Danes on the train around me would mutter, no, 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 this is nothing efficient the way we like it. Clearly, it's all relative. While only two trains a day serve my town back home, these trains go six times an hour. And while many Danes go through life without ever getting around to buying a car, they still grouse about things like public transit. My friend said, we Danes are spoiled. We love to complain. Danish Socialism and the Free Rider Problem Of course, there's much more to Danish contentedness than being quaint and orderly. It's all built upon a firm cultural foundation. Danish society seems to be a finely tuned social internal combustion engine in a glass box, highly taxed, highly connected, and highly regulated, with all the gears properly engaged. Their system is a hybrid that, it seems, has evolved as far as socialism can go without violating the necessary fundamentals of capitalism and democracy. It's capitalistic, but with its unique emphasis on society, it's also socialistic. What happens when a tune-up's needed? My Danish friends tell me they rely on their government. Rather than doing what's best for corporations, the Danish government clearly looks out for the people's interests. The Danes say, if our government lets us down, we let ourselves down. This strong social ethic permeates the whole of Danish society. A traveler can find it in its raw and indigenous form in the rural corners and small towns, places where anyone's allowed to pick berries and nuts, but no more than would fit in your hat. On a recent visit to a Danish small town, I saw this social ethic play out in the way a local friend of mine reacted to a controversy. The biggest hotel in his town started renting bikes to compete with Mrs. Hansen's bike rental shop. My friend was disappointed in the hotel manager. He said, they don't need to do that. Bike rental has been Mrs. Hansen's livelihood since she was a little girl. Of course, there's no law forbidding it. And with our American business ethic, we'd say that competition is good. But in Denmark, to look out for Mrs. Hansen's little bike rental business was a matter of neighborly decency. Other countries have struggled to become more socialistic and failed. So how do the Danes pull it off? I think their success relates to their acceptance of their social contract. Any society needs to subscribe to a social contract, basically what you agree to give up in order to live peacefully with your neighbors. Densely populated Europe generally embraces Rousseau's social contract. In order to get along well, Everyone will contribute a little more than their share and give up a little more than their share. Then, together, we'll all live fine.
The Danes, who take this mindset to the extreme, are particularly conscientious about not exploiting loopholes. They are keenly aware of the so-called free rider problem. That's, if you knew you could get away with it, you'd do something devious or tricky to get more than your fair share. The Danes recognize that if everybody did this, their system would collapse. Therefore, they don't. It seems to me that the Danes make choices considering what would happen to their society as a whole if everyone cheated on this, sued someone for that, freeloaded here, or ignored that rule there. In contrast, the United States subscribes to John Locke's version of the social contract, a don't-fence-me-in ideal of rugged individualism where you can do anything you like as long as you don't hurt your neighbor. Just keep the government off our backs. In some ways, this suits us, as we've always had more elbow room, we can get away with our independent spirit. Thanks to our wide open spaces, determination to be self-sufficient, and relative population sparsity, it's easier and arguably less disruptive for us to ignore the free rider problem. If I had to identify one major character flaw of Americans, it might be our inability to appreciate the free rider problem. Many Americans practically consider it their birthright to make money they didn't really earn, enjoy the fruits of our society while cheating on their taxes, drive a gas guzzler just because they can afford it, take up two parking spots so no one will bump their precious car, and generally jigger the system if they can get away with it. We often seem to consider actions like these acceptable without considering the fact that if everyone did it, our society as a whole would suffer. The consequences of ignoring this reality were thrown into sharp relief with the crippling financial crisis that began in 2008. In the lead-up to the crisis, smart people knew deep down that existing policies would not be sustainable if everybody jumped in, trying to make money from speculation rather than substance. They gambled that they could pull it off and the free rider problem wouldn't kick in. But then it did. As Europe, too, got caught up in this casino capitalism, we saw how interconnected our world has become and how, with the globalization of our economies, there's now only one game in town. A good example of how the Danish social ethic differs from ours is a simple one. Danes are famous for not jaywalking. Even if the roads are empty at 3 in the morning, Danish pedestrians will stop and wait for a red light. If there's no traffic in sight, my American individualism whispers in my ear, why obey a silly rule? And so I jaywalk, boldly, assuming that my fellow pedestrians will appreciate my lead and follow me. In most countries, they do. But when I jaywalk in Denmark, the locals frown at me like I'm a bad influence on the children present. That social pressure impacts even a hurried jaywalking tourist like me. So rather than feel like an evil person, I wait for the light. To be honest, I don't think I'd fit in very well in Denmark. I certainly wouldn't want to run my business in Denmark. But their personal and societal formula intrigues me. On my last visit, I asked Danish people I met about their society and why they're so happy. Here's a sampling of what they told me. Yeah, we Danes are the most contented people. Regular workers pay on average 50% taxes. Big shots pay up to 70%. Of course, we expect and we get good value for our taxes. We've had national health care since the 1930s. We know nothing else. If I don't like the shape of my nose, I pay to fix that. But all my basic health needs are taken care of. Here in Denmark, all education is free, and our taxes even provide university students with $800 a month for living expenses for up to six years. 
We Danes believe a family's economic status should have nothing to do with two fundamental rights, the quality of their health care or the quality of the education their children receive. I believe you in America pay triple per person what we pay as a society for health care. Your system may be better for business, but ours is better for people. Perhaps a major negative consequence of our socialism is that since Danes are so accustomed to everything being taken care of by the government, we may not be very helpful or considerate toward each other when in need. When I saw a tombstone store with Tuck for Alt, thanks for everything, pre-carved into each headstone, I figured it was a message from the dearly departed after enjoying a very blessed life in Denmark. But I asked a Dane and learned that it's a message from the living bidding their loved one farewell, similar to our rest in peace. Still, I think when a Dane dies, it's a good message from both sides. Talk for alt. Living large while living small. An interesting side effect of the Danish system is that sky-high taxes make things so costly that people consume more sparingly. The society seems designed in a way that encourages people to use less, waste less, chew slower, appreciate more, and just sip things. A glass of beer can cost $10. A cup of coffee can run $7, and refills are unheard of. A big-box economy, a la Walmart, is just not very Danish. I think Danes know they could make more money if they embraced the big gulp track and started supersizing things, but the collective decision is based on what's good for the fabric of their society rather than what's good for the economy. One example that's obvious to any visitor is cars, or lack thereof. Figuring in registration fees and sales tax, Denmark levies a nearly 200% tax on new automobiles. So to buy a car, you have to pay for three. As a result, throughout Denmark, a third dimension zips along silently between pedestrians and drivers, Danish bikers. With so many bikes, traffic congestion and pollution are reduced. Parked cars don't clog the streets, and people are in shape. By the way, what's safe for the environment can be dangerous for absent-minded pedestrians. On my last visit to Copenhagen, on two occasions, I was nearly flattened as I stepped from a taxi into the bike lane. Paris and London have taken lanes away from drivers to create bike lanes, but so far the lanes are underused and the entire effort just seems to make things worse. Somehow Copenhagen has it figured out. During Copenhagen's rush hour, there are more bikes on the roads than cars and everything moves smoothly and quietly. While walking through one of Copenhagen's main squares, I noticed it was dominated by people, cobbles, and buildings. It felt calm, spacious, and inviting. I looked again and saw that there were also about 50 parked bikes blending into the scene almost unnoticed, and absolutely no cars. If instead of bikes, those were parked cars, the charm would have been gone. Hotels have even started providing visiting guests with loaner or rental bikes. I find having a bike parked in my hotel's bike rack is a great way to fit in and literally go local. Copenhagen has about as many bike lanes as car lanes, and I figure I can get anywhere in the town center as fast on my two wheels as by taxi. When you get out of the city center and explore the Danish countryside, you'll see that newly paved roads are lined by perfectly smooth bike lanes, one for each direction. Even out in the country, it seems that bikes outnumber cars. Christiania, 
Copenhagen's embattled commune. On my last visit, I was strolling through the commotion of downtown Copenhagen, past chain restaurants dressed up to look old and under-towering hotels that seemed to sport the name of a different international chain each year. Then, as if from another age, a man peddled by me with his wife sitting in the utilitarian bucket-like wagon of his three-wheeled Christiania bike. You'd call the couple Granola in the United States. Looking as out of place here in Copenhagen as an Amish couple wandering the canyons of Manhattan, they were residents of Christiania. The Denmark I've described seems to be a model of conformity, where everyone obeys the laws so that all can be safe, affluent, and comfortable. And yet Denmark also hosts Europe's most inspirational and thriving nonconformist hippie commune. Perhaps being content and conformist is easier for a society when its nonconformist segment, rebelling against all that button-down conformity, has a refuge. In 1971, the original 700 Christianians established squatters' rights in an abandoned military barracks just a 10-minute walk from the Danish parliament building. A generation later, this free city still stands, an ultra-human communal mishmash of idealists, hippies, potheads, non-materialists, and happy children. At last count, about 600 adults, 200 kids, 200 cats, 200 dogs, 17 horses, and a couple of parrots. Seeing seniors with gray ponytails woodworking, tending their gardens, and serving as guardians of the community's ideals— I'm reminded that about 180 of the original gang that took over the barracks four decades ago still call Christiania home. The Christianians are fighting a rising tide of materialism and conformity. They want to raise their children not to be cogs, but free spirits. Everyone knows utopias are utopian. They just can't work. But Christiania, which has evolved with the challenges of making a utopia a viable reality, acts like it didn't get the message. The community is broken into 14 administrative neighborhoods occupying land still owned by Denmark's Ministry of Defense. Locals build their homes but don't own the land. There's no buying or selling of property. When someone moves out, the community decides who will be invited in to replace that person. A third of Christiania's adult population works on the outside. A third works on the inside, and a third doesn't work much at all. For the first few years, hard drugs and junkies were tolerated. But that led to violence and polluted the mellow ambience residents envisioned. In 1979, the junkies were expelled. That episode was an epic confrontation now embedded in the community's folk history. Since then, the symbol of a fist breaking a syringe is as prevalent as the leafy marijuana icon. Hard drugs are emphatically forbidden in Christiania. Marijuana has always been the national plant of this free city. Pusher Street, named for the former sale of soft drugs here, is Christiania's main drag. In recent years, to preempt city forces shutting down the entire community for its open sale of marijuana, residents bulldozed the marijuana stalls lining Pusher Street. In spite of regular police raids, marijuana remains prevalent. But the retailing, while still fragrant, is no longer flagrant. Because of its current crackdown on the sale of marijuana, Copenhagen is experiencing firsthand a classic case study in the regrettable consequences of a war on marijuana. For the first time in years, the Copenhagen street price for pot is up, gangs are moving into the marijuana business, and crime is associated with pot. 
There was actually a murder in 2005 as pushers fought to establish their turf, almost unthinkable in Copenhagen, before the stalls along Pusher Street were bulldozed. Get beyond the touristy main drag of Christiania, and you'll find a fascinating ramshackle world of peaceniks shuffled with some irony among the moats, earthen ramparts, and barracks of the former military base. Alternative housing, carpenter shops, hippie villas, cozy tea houses, children's playgrounds, peaceful lanes, and interfaith stupa-like temples serve people who believe that, quote, to be normal is to be in a straitjacket, unquote. There are a handful of basic rules. No cars, no hard drugs, no guns, no explosives, and so on. A few luxury hippies have oil heat, but most use wood or gas. The community has one mailing address. A phone chain provides a system of communal security because, as people here report, they've had bad experiences calling the police. As a reminder of the constant police presence lately, my favorite Christiania cafe, Manifiskarin, that means moonfisher, has a sign outside its door saying, The world's safest cafe. Police raids nearly every day. And an amazing thing has happened. Christiania, famous for its counterculture scene, geodesic domes on its back streets, and vegetarian cafes, has become the third most visited site among tourists in all of Copenhagen. Move over, Little Mermaid. I recently got an email from some traveling readers. They said, we're not prudes, but Christiania was creepy. Don't take kids there after dark. I agree, the free city is not pretty. But hanging out with parents, raising their children with Christiania values, and sharing a meal featuring homegrown vegetables with a couple born and raised in this community, I found a distinct human beauty in the place. And I came to believe more strongly than ever that it's important to allow this social experiment and give alternative-type people a place to live out their values. As I biked through Christiania, it occurred to me that except for the bottled beer being sold, there wasn't a hint of any corporate entity in the entire free city. There was no advertising and no big business. Everything was handmade. Nothing was packaged. People consumed as if how they spent their money shaped the environment in which they lived and raised their children. It's not such a far cry from their fellow Danes, who also see themselves as conscientious participants in their own society. But ever since its inception, Christianity has been a political hot potato. No one in the Danish establishment wanted it, and no one has the nerve to mash it. While once very popular with the general Copenhagen community, Christianians have lost some goodwill recently as they're seen more as a clique, no longer accepting others to join and looking out only for themselves. Mindful of their need for popular support from their Copenhagen neighbors, Christianians are working to connect better with the rest of society. Its residents now pool their money, creating a fund to pay for utilities and city taxes, about a million dollars a year, and an annual budget of about a million dollars to run their local affairs. But Denmark's relatively conservative government is trying to do what they're calling normalize Christiania. It's being pressured by developers salivating at the potential profits of developing this once nearly worthless land, and by the United States because of the residents' celebrated use of marijuana. Increasingly, this community of peaceniks is in danger of being evicted. By way of compromise, there's talk about opening Christiania to 1,600 residents who aren't part of the commune and developing posh apartments to replace existing residences. Injecting outsiders and market forces into the last attempt at a socialist utopia surviving in Europe from its flower power days is designed to, and likely will, bring great change. 
As I left Christiania and headed back into clean, orderly, and conformist Denmark, I looked up at the back side of the Welcome to Christiania sign. It read, You are now entering the EU. Later that day, on the bustling streets of downtown Copenhagen, I paused to watch a parade of ragtag soldiers against conformity dressed in black and waving Save Christiania banners. They walked silently behind a World War II vintage truck, blasting Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall. I had never really listened to the words before, but the anthem of self-imposed isolation and revolt against conformity seemed to perfectly fit the determination of the Christianians to stand up against thought control and stifled individuality. On their banner, a slogan was painted onto an old bedsheet. A local translated it for me. It read, Live life artistically. Only dead fish follow the current. Those marching flew the Christiania flag, three yellow dots on an orange background. They say the dots are from the O's in love, love, love. While I wouldn't choose to live in Christiania, I would feel a loss if it were shut down. There's something unfortunately brutal about a world that makes the little Christianias, independent bookstores, family farms, nomadic communities, and so on, fight giants, such as developers, big chains, agribusiness, and centralized governments, to the death. Those economic and governmental behemoths always seem to win, and when they do, We may become safer and wealthier and even more comfortable, but it all comes at a cost. The need for a Christiania is not limited to the Danes. After that trip from the comfort of my suburban Seattle living room, I stumbled upon live TV coverage of the finale of the Burning Man Festival, that annual massing of America's artistic free spirits each Labor Day in the Nevada desert. Watching it, I heard the cry of an American fringe community that, much like the tribe at Christiania, wants to be free in an increasingly interconnected world that demands conformity. Traveling in Denmark, considering well-ordered Danish socialism and reflecting on the free-spirited ideals and struggles of Christiania gives me insight into parts of my own society that refuse to be just another brick in the wall. Hopefully, when the pressures of conformity require selling a bit of our soul, Travel experiences like these help us understand the potential loss before it's regrettably gone. Denmark is a riddle that I love puzzling over. On the one hand, their dedication to their social contract is the bedrock of their insistent happiness. On the other, in their long-standing acceptance of Christiania, the Danes seem to be unusually tolerant of free spirits. I imagine that the dramatic tension between these extremes is part of what keeps Danish life interesting, both for the Danes and for us visitors. As all societies vie to win the most contented surveys, traveling reminds us that contentment is not based on surrendering to conformity, but in finding that balance between working well together and letting creative spirits run free.